Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. Thank you for pouring out your spirit in this place. Thank you for speaking to us in a way that makes a transformational difference in our hearts and that leads us to a greater fulfillment of your design for our relationships. Thank you for pouring out your your spirit into our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to introduce you this morning to Petrov Stanislav. Petrov uh, Stanislav Petrov, I'm sorry, his last name is Petrov, a, a man who lived in Australia, in, not in Australia, sorry, we'll get, this, we'll get this right. He lived in Russia, just on the outskirts of Moscow, and in the 1990s, he was little known, little appreciated, but I just want to tell you today that, look at him carefully, because you may owe your life to Stanislav Petrov. How many of you have heard of Stanislav Petrov before? Okay, we have about three or four of you that have heard of him before, so you may know a little bit about his story. It was in the 1990s when his story began to come out and the world began to realize that this man had made an incredible difference in that he had averted nuclear war. Today we might be living on a vastly different planet with millions of people having died in a nuclear war if it wasn't for what Stanislav Petrov had done, or maybe for what he had not done. And I believe this is crucial this morning as we look at a key relationship principle that's found in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21. If you'll go there with me, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 reveals something that unveils what we talked about the first week. The first week we talked about how Jesus has come that we might have life and life more abundantly. He wants to give us abundance in our relationships. And in the Proverbs, now the Proverbs are full of wisdom for relationships. Tons of things in the Proverbs. But Proverbs 18 and verse 21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Isn't that incredible? All right, I, you're not thinking it's incredible, so just open your mouth, thick out your tongue, maybe give it a little touch, maybe not if you've been shaking a lot of hands. But there is the power of life and death in this little tiny organism on the front of my face. Isn't that an amazing thing? To think that there is the power of life and death. What does that really mean? Well, Stanislav Petrov actually came to realize the power of the tongue in a moment when he had to make an incredible decision. But friends, I think that the power of life and death in the tongue comes more often than just when we're eating our breakfast and we taste that it's good, and more often than those big decisions that we have to make about what we say, but in those day-to-day, moment-by-moment decisions that set the foundation, that build into our relationships abundance, abundant life. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at last week, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. We're just going to back up a few verses to look at something else that Paul says about our relationships as he gives counsel to the Ephesians on how they should live and how they can thrive in their relationships. There's so many practical tips on relationships in Ephesians, but we're going to look at verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, 
but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. This is a picture of the power of life that is contained in your tongue. (laughs) By the words of your mouth, you can establish things in your relationship that can make an entire difference. It starts off by saying, let no corrupt word, let, let no word that's rotten, that's going to drag you down, proceed out of your mouth. And then it says, but what is good for necessary edification. Some of translations will say for, for building each other up. Our title of our message today is Build Up. That's our relationship goal for this week is to build one another up. There is power in your words. Did you know that? That when you say something, it has an impact? You may not realize this, but I want to tell you that you have a lot more impact than you realize. When you say something, you don't realize the difference that it may make in another person's life, but maybe you've seen the difference that it's made in your own life. I want you to to think about what would take place if somebody said something to you like the following. It's pretty interesting in the book, Forgive to Live, that we talked about last week, week. Dr. Dick Tibbet says this about our emotions. We experience negative emotions four to ten times more intensely than we experience positive ones. Do you know that? When you hear something negative, when you hear something hurtful, you tend to experience that emotion four to ten times stronger than you would an emotion that or a a positive thing. And and just to illustrate this, we're going to test this out. Actually, before we do, we're going to go to James chapter 4, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say. And then I'm going to give you a little experiment where you can try that out for yourself. Go with me to James chapter 3. James has a lot of practical wisdom about our tongue as well. James chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 2. He's talking about the tongue. He's talking about the power of the tongue, that, that part of your body that Solomon the wisest man who ever lived said has the power of life and death in it. Verse 2 says, For we stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Isn't that incredible to think about? It says, just if you're able to control this, this one little part, then you're able to bridle your whole body. It goes on to describe this further. Verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Isn't it pretty incredible to think about? You've seen a cowboy riding a horse, or maybe you've gotten to ride a horse yourself, and they just put that bit inside of the horse's mouth, and they're able to direct this beast that is far more powerful than they. They can get a, a Mustang who's who may be difficult to tame, but with a bit and bridle, you can direct that horse in any direction that you want. James uses this as an illustration of the power that comes from just bridling this one little part of our body that has the power of life and death in it. It goes on to say this, verse 4, Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. You think about how ships are driven and they they have just that wheel that the pilot's able to be there. 
a gale force wind, James says. Though there's all of these different forces and waves impacting the ship, what drives the ship is just this little tiny rudder that sticks down underneath the boat. And James says in the the same way, your tongue has an impact on the trajectory of your life. It has an impact on the trajectory of your relationships. It has the ability to build up and it also has the ability to tear down. It has the power of life and it has the power of death. There is a lot of power here in the tongue. James wants us to get that clearly. It goes on to say, verse 5, even so the tongue is just a little member and boasts great things, but see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Wow! James is pretty passionate about our tongues, isn't he? saying there is a lot of power and force in your tongue. It can start a wildfire. It can impact the entire world around you. The words that you say are incredibly important. James wants us to recognize that, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the tongue has an impact in incredible ways. But here's the good news. What did Proverbs say? It didn't just say that there's the power of death in the tongue, but it said there's the power of life. The power of death and life. So if you think about this, as it says that it can kindle a fire, what else is compared to fire in the Bible? You know, in Song of Songs, chapter 8, it refers to love as a burning fire that cannot be quenched. In the same way that your tongue can bring death through the things that you say, in the same way it can also bring life if you choose to say something different, and it can kindle a fire of love. So this morning, maybe you were thinking about some of your relationships. Maybe they've been growing cold. They don't have that same fire that you had. If you're married and you're thinking, man, we've been married for 30 years and I just wish that it was like when we first got married, but kind of the fire's grown dim. There's power in your tongue. There's power in what you say. You can bring life or you can bring death into your marriage. And it's the same with your relationship with your kids. It's the same with your relationship with your neighbors, with all of the relationships in your life. You have power in your tongue. It continues on to say, For every kind of beast and bird or reptile of creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth pursue blessing and cursing. My brethren, These things ought not to be so. As James is writing to the church, and he's writing a general epistle to the the whole Christian church, one of the things that he is preeminently concerned with is what they're doing with their tongues. The words that they're saying, are they building each other up, or are they tearing each other down? So we saw that Dr. Tibbet said that Emotions that are negative are experienced four to ten times more strongly than our positive emotions. So we're going to test this out. I'm going to put the next slide up on the screen here. And I want you to imagine that you're having this conversation with your best friend. 
So you're, you're talking with your best friend, and your best friend has some things to say to you. First of all, your best friend says, you are a good friend. Then says, you have been very helpful. You tend to tell little white lies. You dress very stylishly. You were very helpful last night. In the midst of your conversation, all of these things come out from your friend. And then the day goes on, the week goes on. Tell me what you're thinking about a week later. Are you thinking about how your friend was so nice to say, yeah, I dress really stylishly? Are you thinking about how your friend said that you were a good friend? Are you thinking about how your friend said that you're very helpful? Or are you thinking about, I tell lies? How in the world could they say that? What lies are they talking about? I really tell lies? I cannot believe they said, you may not even remember the entire rest of the conversation. Have you been in that place before? It's happened to me again and again, where I have been in a conversation and one little thing that somebody has said has set the entire conversation in a different direction than maybe they even perceive. They may not have even recognized the power of those words that they said to me. There's power in the tongue, James says. And if we could just bridle it, he says, we could be a perfect person. We could have perfect relationships. Maybe that wouldn't make everybody else perfect. But our reactions to every person would be perfect if only this could be bridled. But it sounds pretty impossible. If you read this, it's like, well, this isn't even possible. This sounds like it's an unruly force. It's a deadly poison. What could possibly change my tongue? I can't control it. Doesn't that what the, isn't that basically what the Bible is saying? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, where we find Jesus talking to the disciples. And it's pretty fascinating because if you look at Mark chapter 3, similar story where Jesus says the same teaching he has just been approached by one, his entire family, his mother and brothers, his, his father was probably passed away by this time, have said, he is out of his mind. Let's go get Jesus and bring him back home. So he knows that his mother and brother and sisters are saying this about him, that he's out of his mind. Jesus has lost his mind. The things that he's teaching and saying and doing, it's just too much. And they're saying these things about Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 12, it's also recorded in Mark 3, just before he launches into this teaching, the Pharisees have said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, meaning Satan is the one who's giving him the power to do these miracles. Jesus really isn't that good. He's being insulted in one of the worst possible ways. He goes into talking about being careful about disregarding the work of the Holy Spirit. But then he says this in verse 33. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 33. says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruits. Brood of vipers, who can, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is Jesus basically painting the same bleak picture that James is, that the heart is where things come from. This gives us a little more picture of why the tongue says what it says. But again, he says, when the heart's evil, out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. And that's why people are saying that 
God on earth is blaspheming. That's why they're saying that he's out of his mind. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But then it goes on to say in verse 35, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus wants us to know that there is power in our tongues, that the things that we say affect the entire trajectory of our life, that there is a way in which our character is formed by the pattern of our words. And in the end, when we're standing there at the great judgment day, it's going to matter how we spoke. It's going to matter that our hearts were transformed by Jesus. That is the good news here, is that the picture is that it's based upon the heart. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And the foundational principle, I believe, in our relationships, more than any other, is what we talked about two weeks ago. And that is that we need a new heart. And the good news is that we can claim that. It's not something that I can do on my own. I can't create a clean heart in myself. But Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26 and 27 says that He's going to give us clean hearts, new hearts. He's going to put a new spirit in us. He's going to cause us to walk in His statutes and judgments and do them. And friends, when we have new hearts and our tongues begin to speak words of life, it can make an incredible world of a difference. Just ask Stanislav Petrov. As he was there, and he was, it was after midnight, he was in doing his job. He was lieutenant colonel of the Soviet Air Defense Forces. His job was to be a part of the missile defense system. And so as he was there in the bunker, he was, had the job of monitoring the satellite defense system to see if America launched any missiles. This was in the height of the Cold War. It was 1983. Tensions were very high. People were questioning whether nuclear war was avoidable or not. You might remember that, some of you. I don't quite remember it as I wasn't born. But Petrov Stanislav, as he was there, something suddenly happened. On the screen, suddenly something began to appear and it suddenly began to flash red on the screen. A missile has been launched from the United States. This was shocking to him, but it was a new system and he, he was kind of looking at it and he said, well, it had to have cleared 29 different checks in order to finally be able to give me that warning. But if it's only one missile, uh, and, and as this is processing in his mind, suddenly another missile, it says, has been fired from the United States. And then it says another missile has been fired from the United States. Pretty soon, five missiles that have been fired from the United States. This is enough to start a nuclear war. It's assumed at this point that five nuclear missiles have been fired by the United States and are on their way to Russia. Can you imagine the trembling for Stanislav Petrov as he's there with the phone and he knows that if he makes the call to his superiors and tells them, look, we have this warning, there's five missiles on the way, that in all likelihood, 
they will unleash an atomic fire on the United States that they will send missile after missile after missile in retaliation. What do you do in a moment like that? What do you say when you're on the brink of war? What do you say when your wife says that thing that's frustrating to you? What do you say when your child says that thing or does that thing that grates on you like nothing else? What do you do in a moment when you're on the brink of war? Thankfully, Stanislav Petrov and Stephen actually shared the story with me. Stanislav Petrov, in that moment, he decided to think the best of the United States. He decided in that moment to assume that this was simply a malfunction of the system. And he said nothing. Made no phone call to his superiors. Didn't go ahead and warn them that there were missiles on the way. And he said, I honestly didn't know at that point. I didn't know what to expect. And for the next half an hour, he was living in dread. But he said after about a half an hour... When I realized that there had been no missile strike, I was incredibly thankful that I hadn't said anything. And maybe we're sitting here today because he didn't say something. Maybe we're sitting here today because he bridled his tongue. He refused to say something. And World War III was averted. We don't know exactly what would have happened, but in all likelihood, it would have been an all-out nuclear war. But Stanislav Petrov, He didn't believe the rumor. And instead, he said nothing. How do we avert war in our lives? There's a quote in uh, the book, Acts of the Apostles, page 319, that I believe encapsulates this principle of the way that Stanislav was living at this point. Christ-like love places the most favorable construction on the motives and acts of others. That's humbling to me because as I read a list like you just read, if somebody had had that conversation with me, I would think that their entire purpose was to get at me with that whole white lies statement. But this says that I should place the most favorable construction on what they're trying to say to me, and I should look at the, the four other positive, uplifting things that they said, and I should assume the very best about that person. It does not needlessly expose their faults. It does not listen eagerly to unfavorable reports, but seeks rather to bring to mind the good qualities of others. But what do you do in that moment when you get a phone call that could start an all-out war? I was working in the church office one day. The church secretary was gone on vacation, and the senior pastor had asked if I would fill in for a week. And so I was there in the office just answering phone calls like I did every morning. Good morning, Modesto Central. Good morning, Modesto Central. Well, most calls that came through were just asking about what time our service was or what time the food pantry was open for the community or if someone could stop by and drop something off or if I had 
something ready for something to be picked up. Well, this particular morning, I answered the phone, good morning, Modesto Central. And the first thing I heard come across the line was, who made that stupid bulletin? Oh, well, I didn't even have a chance to answer as it continued. That bulletin that came out last week was the most stupid bulletin I've ever seen. It looked terrible. It was terrible. I hated it. It was the dumbest thing this church has ever done. Well, because I had been filling in for secretary and because I knew how to work the computer fairly well, the pastor had asked me the week before to work on this new bulletin and to put together a new layout that would be improvement from what we had before. And so as the tirade was coming across the line, I was thinking, how am I going to answer this question? And then I just kind of smiled to myself And as it continued, who would do something this dumb? And who would do something this stupid? And I can't believe blah, 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 blah. When I finally got a chance, I said, well, I did. And then it was silent. You can imagine how I felt after that conversation. Because it didn't end there. I went on to get all the reasons why this was the most stupid, the most ridiculous, the most dumb, the worst thing this church had ever done. Earlier this year, I was reading a book. I made a book goal for myself that I wanted to read 25 books outside of my worship time this year. And I'm a kind of person that my time can get up, eaten up easily or I waste time. And so I thought that this book goal would be helpful. Well, one of the first books I read this year was called Leaving the Light On by Gary Smalley. I don't know if you've read the book before. This is what it looks like. But it talks a lot about how we can enhance our relationships, how we can enhance our marriages, how we can enhance our relationship with our kids. And in this book, near the end, he actually talks about three levels of conflict. So when war is about to break out, when someone has said something that's offensive, has just put you down, I mean, I'll tell you, when I got off the phone with that lady, I was like, oh, wow. Zach was working in his office just across the hall, and I remember going in there and like, can you believe what this person just said? I'd been calm on the phone, but not so much when I reached his office. And I remember just telling him, how could someone say something like that? How could she be so rude? How could someone call? And I just kept going on and on and on. Well, thankfully, this is a time in his life where God had really, really mellowed him out. And he said, well... You just have to remember that hurt people hurt people. I was like, oh, that's not really what I wanted to hear right now. And he went on to encourage me that, well, you know, who knows why she would have said those things and who knows what's going on in her day and we just need to give her the benefit of the doubt. Well, in this book... It talks about three levels of conflict. And I want to put them up here on the screen because in these situations, when all-out war is about to break out, someone has just put you down, someone said something offensive, sometimes we have an opportunity in how, I mean, sometimes we have, yeah, I guess the opportunity of how we're going to deal with the conflict. So the first level of conflict is dealing with the issue. And go ahead and think of any conflict that you might face in a relationship. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, maybe it's with your kids. All of us face different kinds of conflicts that have to be dealt with. And even though we're talking about the fact that the tongue has the power to kill, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't deal with issues. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't work out the things that are troubling our relationships. And so in this book, Gary Smalley talks about that the first level of conflict is when you just simply deal with the issue. Like an issue that we often have is that 
we're running late. And this is very frustrating to me because if I really want to be somewhere on time, this guy who's woken up at three, four o'clock in the morning waits till five minutes before we have to go out the door to come in and to shave and to gel his hair and to get his clothes on. So I find that very frustrating. And it's equally frustrating for him because on things that he really wants to be on time for, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't really matter that much. I usually don't wake up early enough, and then I don't get to the shower early enough, and then I'm determined that I want to dry my hair, and so I make us late. So this is like a conflict, and when we had two cars, it was a little easier because it was like, well, I'll just meet you there, whoever was running late. But now it really is like we have to work hard to make sure that we're going to make it there on time. So if we were going to deal with this issue, dealing with just level one of the conflict would be just talking about the fact that we were running late this morning, that you wait till five minutes before when you've been up for five hours, that you didn't get up early enough, whatever the situation is. Level number two, however, I thought was very interesting That's when we start to address past issues. And I don't know how many of you have ever had this happen to you, but someone's trying to address something with you, and all of a sudden it comes up that you always are late. You're never. Do you know how those words hurt? Words always and never? That starts to kind of attack personally, right? You're not just talking about the issue anymore, but now you never do this. You always do this. And just those words themselves, it starts to become more personal. Well, number three is when the attacks start to go to the person. You're not very thoughtful. If you were more caring, if you were more respectful, if you, if you, if you, rather than just talking about the fact that we're late and we got to fix the late issue, or maybe it's a money issue, or maybe it's something else, then we start to attack the person. And in this book, Gary Smalley says that he would make people in their counseling sessions, because he counsels people all the time, commit to in their relationships, never passing level two. Yes, we have to deal with issues. Yes, we have to work through things, but we're going to keep it on the level of the issue. Never going into that personal attack of people because that's where it really starts to hurt. That's what really pierces who you are as a person. And level four, when you start to attack the relationship, We just can't work this out. We're always fighting about money. Maybe we shouldn't even be together. We're always late. This is such a problem. What am I even doing with you? Maybe I would just be better on my own because I wouldn't have to wait for you anymore when you start to attack. And this is super interesting. He said in the book, he said, the more people let their thoughts dwell in number four, the more you start thinking about, why did I marry this person? Why, is I, why am I friends with this person? I just keep getting hurt over and over. When you start to question the relationship more and more, he said, you'll notice that every issue that could be dealt with on level one immediately goes to level four. So they squeeze the toothpaste in the wrong place, it's grounds for divorce. Isn't that interesting? So he talks a lot about in that book, the more we can control our thoughts, the more we can control our tongue and just deal with the issues as they are, it's actually really constructive. We can make so much progress in our relationships. However, when we start getting into level three and four, it ends up really, really damaging our relationships. Well, I'm super thankful because after I got off the phone and I tirated into Zach's office and let him know what a rude, unthoughtful, uncaring lady this was, 
Zach was encouraging me to think the best of her and just try to reach out to her. So the following weeks at church, as I would greet her as she walked out the door, my heart was not feeling so happy, but I would try to tell her, happy Sabbath, good morning, how are you? And I'll tell you, I didn't feel it at first. But sometimes you just have to keep doing it until your heart starts to feel it. And it was so amazing as the weeks went by. Every week, I would go to her table at Potluck. How are you? How is your week? Just trying to be friendly and nice. She would walk out the door. We'd shake her hands. One Sabbath, she pulled me aside. Can I talk to you? I was a little nervous. I stepped aside, and she said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. It actually had nothing to do with the bulletin. I thought you were trying to take my friend's job, and that was the least of my concerns. She said, I, 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 I'm, I was so out of line. I am so, so sorry. And in that moment, I was like, praise God that Zach stopped me before I had a chance to respond like my heart really wanted to. Praise God that in that moment, I didn't say anything. Praise God that in those moments when I had opportunities, God let me say something nice, something kind, something helpful, because God totally used that to turn that situation around. And there's plenty of stories I could share where I didn't do the right thing and I probably spoke too soon and was hurtful. But I've just started to realize more and more that our words have an immense, immense power. They have the power of life and death. They have the power to avert World War III. Stanislav Petrov saw that and Leah saw that in the office I just want you to know, though, as we talk about this, those are some incredible principles, aren't they, as we handle conflict? And, you know, they say about a relationship, be it a marriage, be it a friendship, that a relationship that is healthy, that is good, isn't one necessarily that has no conflicts, because we're different. Just like Adam and Eve were created as opposites, they were balancing each other out. You and I are different, you and your spouse are different. You're going to have differences, and that's okay. But where the problem comes in is how we use our words in handling those differences, how we process those things. In fact, before we got married, I think it was, somebody told us, you know, we just made the rule that we're never going to let the words divorce go through our lips. They're basically saying we're never going to let it go to level four in our conversation. Or maybe you're thinking about your child. Like, I'm never going to let it come to the place where I say I disown my child. There were points, you remember some of the stories I've told about the ways I was acting as a teenager, where my mom now says, I told God, you know, I still love him because he's my son, but I really don't like the kid. (laughs) She couldn't stand me as a person. You may feel that way about your child. You may feel that way about your spouse. You may feel about that way about somebody at work. And you can set boundaries to keep somebody from hurting you. That's biblical. There's boundaries even within a marriage that there are certain things where if, if infidelity has taken place, that, that Jesus even allows for divorce in the worst possible case scenario. Not that that's what has to happen or that what he wants to happen. So there can be boundaries, but really, in most of our relationships, we should never come to the place of ever questioning the relationship. We should always continue to have hearts of love. 
So how do we experience this in a little bit deeper way? I want to look at just a few biblical concepts in closing that are practical tips to help us in moments where World War III is on the brink, where we're about to face a conflict. We can just feel it coming. What do we do in that moment? Number one, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19. I'll put up a slide here. Be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Proverbs 10 and verse 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. In, in that moment when conflict is on the verge, when, when you don't know how to reprimand your child, take a time out. Take a moment to pray about the situation and let God work with your heart before you say anything. Sometimes you might just have to walk away from a situation. In fact, I love what it says in the book, The Adventist Home, a great book that just describes what a Christian should live like. It says, the husband or the wife may utter words that are liable to provoke a hasty reply, but let the one who is spoken to keep silent. In silence, there is safety. Often silence is the severest rebuke that could be given to the one who has sinned with his lips. Be slow to speak. Don't jump to get back at them. Don't jump into the argument because that's how it gets to level two and three and four really fast if we aren't thoughtful and prayerful and allowing God to really control our hearts. Number two, seek to understand. Proverbs 18 verse 2 says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Well, the person who will be considered wise. In fact, another place in Proverbs says the fool will be considered wise when he doesn't talk. (laughs) While it's wise not to talk, the fool is quick to express whatever's on his heart, whatever he's feeling. Well, this is how I'm feeling about you, and you made me feel like this, and instantly jumping into it. A fool has no delight in understanding. But that can change everything. When we enter into somebody else's experience, when we have empathy, saying, what are they going through? Why is it that they're lashing out? Why is it that they're treating me like this? And we can even be like on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because we've come to understand the deception, the lies that may be leading them to what they're doing. We saw this before, Acts of the Apostles, page 319. Christ-like love places the most favorable construction on the motives and acts of others. If you walk away with one thing today, this will change your life. When you interact with somebody, what do you expect? Do you think that they are trying to hurt you? Leah has shared before that I used to be a very sensitive person and God's beginning to tone that down. But there would be times where I would say, well, you said this. And she'd say, I love you. I married you. I do so many things for you. Do you really think that that's what I was meaning to say? Well, it sure seemed like it at the time. It sure felt like it. But that's because I wasn't placing the best on her motives and intentions. I wasn't really expecting that she was loving me like she had promised that she would. Place the best on others' motives and acts. Look to their good qualities. Expect good out of other people. Number three, filter your thoughts. Here's the thing. In Proverbs, it actually says, before we look at Philippians 4, 8, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23 and verse 7. So out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. What takes place at the level of our thoughts 
is what controls our words. So it's essential that we start this battle, we win this battle on the level of our thoughts. It's one thing to be silent at that time when you are annoyed by a person, you're bothered by what somebody's doing. It's another thing to stop those thoughts of criticism tearing that person down. And that's really what God wants us to do. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about these things, about your relationships. If you focus on these things, it will transform your heart and your thoughts to such a place that you will speak words of life and not words of death. Our thoughts have an incredible power. In the book, The Ministry of Healing, it says this, it is the law of nature that our thoughts and feelings are encouraged and strengthened as we give them utterance. Have you recognized that before? You say something to somebody and pretty soon later on you're thinking, yeah, that is how I feel. That is what I think because you've spoken it. There's power when you actually say something. While words express thoughts, It is also true that thoughts follow words. So not only are our words impacted, not only are our words impacted by our thoughts, but it's a cycle where also what, what you say impacts your thoughts. So another way to filter your thoughts is to actually only speak positive things about people, and this will begin to transform your heart so that you begin to say more positive things, and it's a an upward upward cycle. On the other hand, if you're constantly saying, why do they do this? And why, why does she always have to, to put on that dress to go to church? Or whatever it is on your mind, then you're going to end up speaking those things that are in your heart. Point number four, cultivate thankfulness. In Ephesians chapter five, this is just a few verses after it says, let no corrupt thing come out of your mouth. It says this, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. Sometimes we say, oh, I was just kidding. I... But those things can really impact us. The other day, I, I, or a week ago, I shared the story about somebody that was talking to me in the basketball game. and Somebody came out and told me, you know, they were just trash talking. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of trash talking that happens in basketball. But it still impacts you, right? It still makes a difference. It may just be a joke, but those things impact us. So it goes on to say, but rather giving of thanks. There's a remedy at the end of this. Rather than tearing people down, rather than joking about them, rather than these different things, give thanks. Approach life with a thankful heart. So I want to challenge you to do something. And, and I just want to see how many of you are willing to commit to this. I want you to think about your relationships. Think about maybe a relationship that's not full of the abundant life like you'd like it to be. Think about a relationship that could grow, that could get better, and most all of our relationships could get better. How many of you are willing to commit with me to do something based on what we read earlier that negative emotions are experienced four to ten times more strongly Here it's saying that we can remedy our foolish talking, our jesting with a thankful heart. How many of you are willing to say, okay, I'm going to each day for the next, how many weeks do we have left of this series? I think four weeks left. 
In the next four weeks, I am going to say something or I'm going to write down maybe in my journal positive things that I'm thankful for about this person. I'm going to just go ahead and write those things down. How many of you are willing to make that commitment? For the next week, I'm going to put down three positive things about this relationship. And if you want to take it to a whole nother level, I encourage you to actually say those things to that person because that really impacts your relationship as you begin to build each other up. Then there are powerful prayers that the Bible gives us. Number five, pray these prayers, these two prayers. Psalm 19 verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. It's a powerful prayer to pray about your conversations and about even your thoughts, asking God to filter them for you. Then the next verse in Matthew, uh, Psalm 141 and verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The psalmist prayed some incredibly practical prayers. Lord, just guard my mouth so that I don't say things that create death in a person's life or in our relationships, but instead give me words of life. Just two more. Number six, remember who you are talking to. Matthew 25 and verse 40. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Do we recognize that in our conversations, when I'm talking to you, I'm not just talking to another homo sapien, but I'm talking to a child of God. That Jesus loved more than his own existence and went to the cross for and would do anything to make sure that he has abundant life. And do I recognize that if I'm tearing that person down, to Jesus it just feels like I'm tearing his own person down. Because he identifies that closely with you. Finally, with all of these steps, number seven, build each other up. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 says something very similar, and it says, Let your words be seasoned with salt. So you go to potluck as you go to lunch. You imagine if you bite into that dish and there's no salt in it, there's no flavor in it. God wants for our words to be filled with grace, to be well seasoned, to build each other up, to be constructive, to encourage, not to flatter somebody, not to lie to somebody, to be honest, but to build them up in every possible way. Because there's power of life and there's power of death in the tongue. Will you join me in just praying together that God would work in my heart, in your heart, in such a way that out of the abundance of the heart, our mouths would speak words of life and not words of death. Let's pray together. Father, we claim that promise that we keep going back to in Ezekiel 36, that you would give us new hearts. Lord, I've said so many things that I know have wounded people. And Father, there's so many things that I may have said that I don't even recognize how they've impacted people. And I pray that you would forgive me, that you would give me that opportunity to make those things right. I pray that you'd create healing for the things in relationships that have, have been torn apart. And Father, I pray that you would lead us to walk out of this place, not to tell somebody else that they need to hear this, 
message that they need to learn how to control their tongue, but to just bridle our own tongues, to look at our own heart, to ask ourselves, how can I speak words of life? How can I have the heart of Jesus? How can I care about his children that he cares so much about? Father, give us your heart, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.